All right, so the book of Leviticus, it gets its name. It's, it's pertaining to the Levites, the, the priestly group of Israel. And so there's a lot of instruction that's for them personally and then trickles down to the rest of the people of God, the people of Israel. So the primary theme of this book is holiness. And so we're gonna see this right off here. Um, it's, I think it's the first chapter you'll read tomorrow morning. This is from Leviticus 19, verses one and two. It kind of captures the essence of what this book is about. Leviticus 19, verse one. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. So the, the first thing we see this morning is that God himself is holy and he intends for us to be holy. That word holy, it means unique, set apart, special. Now, this is not something new that God is folding in as we start to get to the books of the law. Part, part of why the word holy is so intimidating to us is because we are so separated from God's original plan in the garden. The condition of Adam and Eve when they were created was holy. In fact, his original heart and intention is that all of humankind would be set apart from creation, a reflection of God himself. We were made in his image and his likeness. And so we were made to be a reflection of that in the earth. And the way that holiness was gonna play out is we were gonna be connected to him. And then we were gonna know, we were gonna live out inherently our God-given purpose to love and care for each other, to enjoy and care for this earth. We were made to have great freedom and we were made to have a lot of responsibility. We were to be set apart from creation. And so what we've been reading as we've gone through the scriptures, we've seen how, how humankind lost that at the fall. And now what God's doing through Abraham's family and now the establishment of the nation of Israel is he's saying, your calling now is to be set apart. Once again, you're to be my reflection for all of humankind because not only do I wanna bless you, I wanna bless the whole earth with you. We've been developing this idea of God's blessing and that his heart is to bless the whole earth. And so he says, I'm holy. Now you, Israel, my special people, I'm calling you out to be holy too, to be like me so that my blessing can flow through your life to the whole world. I wanna bring the world back to myself, back to their rightful place and all the blessings that flow from that. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking with me? The, the, the way the book of Leviticus actually starts out is God reveals kind of where he's going in the book with the very first words. The very first word of Leviticus is this Hebrew word that means called out or he called. And it's this idea that God was, was in the tabernacle, the place that was established for him to meet with his people, and he called out to them and gave them instructions about how they could be brought near to a holy God, how they could be set apart, holy, unique, and come commune with him. And so the very book starts out with that Hebrew word, he called or called out. Now, 
this should catch our attention because Leviticus, whether we believe this or not or feel this or not, um, Leviticus is incredibly relevant for us because this same terminology is what God now uses New Testament for the church. The church is ecclesia. That word means called out. It means an assembly. It means a gathering, but it is people who have been called out to come into an assembly or a gathering. It's a set apart people. This is relevant to us because we, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, we have been called out. And so to enrich our understanding of what God is calling us to in the New Testament, we can take a look back in the Old Testament and see the roots that were already there that God was gonna provide in order to make us his holy people. All right, is this making sense so far? So God is holy. He's calling us to be holy. In Leviticus, he's talking to the nation of Israel, but it's all pointing ahead to the future and to the coming of Jesus Christ, the ultimate fulfillment. And now the calling of all people everywhere to be his called out ones. You and I, whether Jewish or not, Jew or Gentile, we've been called out. God's calling us to himself. He's holy. He's called us to be holy. I love this verse, um, just one chapter later, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. You shall be holy to me. It's personal. You're set apart for me. You're set apart for me for us to know each other, enjoy each other. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the people's that you should be mine. God is calling us into an exclusive relationship where there is no other God that sits on the throne of our lives but him alone. And he's the only one that can fulfill that role fully, completely, perfectly. We're all looking for a king. We're all looking for a God, for a savior. We may not use those words, but we find ways to navigate life as successfully as we can. In our culture, the prevalent thing to do is just put ourselves on that throne. That's what we do. But we, we look for hope in some other place. And God is saying, I'm the only one who can fill those shoes. I'm the unique holy God and I'm inviting you into a relationship with me. I'm inviting you to come be my special people. I'm holy, set apart, unique. And I'm inviting you into something unique and special and set apart. Holiness. Now, there's just one big problem that Leviticus makes really, really clear. And it's the same thing that Jesus ends up showing us was his primary mission in life. And it is to address the fact that we aren't holy. We have a holy God inviting us to be holy and there's a really big problem. We're not. That's point number two if you're taking notes this morning. He's holy and wants us to be holy. Point number two, we are not. I love the way um, Dr. Larry Crabb describes this. There, there's a really good book that he wrote called The 66 Love Letters. Um, and he just, he, he took time to reflect on each book of the Bible 
and has kind of written this as like a dialogue between him and God. Lord, here's what I'm wrestling with in this book. Here's what I think you're saying back to me as I'm reading this book. And so part of it, he'll write from the perspective of like God saying, here's what I'm trying to communicate. So here's him, here's Dr. Larry Crabb reflecting on the book of Leviticus, writing these words from God's perspective. I've written Leviticus to tell you one thing. The toughest part of my plan, the part that's the costliest to me is to make you holy. You want me to solve your problems, but you don't know what your worst problem is, the one responsible for all the others. You don't yet realize that distance from me is the most lethal problem you have. The reason Leviticus is such a drag to read is because it's just like every tiny little detail highlighting things that make us unclean highlighting things that make us unholy. And then there's all these prescriptions for what do you do when you find yourself in that circumstance and how does God provide a remedy to cleanse us so we have some chance to be set apart and to be around this unique, unbelievable God who's made us to be with him and like him. And so to give some sense of this, I just kind of want to lay out a bit of a, a, bit of a roadmap through this book and, and also some of Exodus and Numbers, places where it's really getting in to the nitty-gritty of the law, okay? The law is, is revealing that we are not holy. It addresses issues of morality, first and foremost. Morally, we're unclean. The Ten Commandments points out in, in clear black and white, here's what's expected. Here's what's expected, and then there's all these other like rules and regulations and details that are like an expansion upon how do we fulfill those 10 requirements. And the idea is that God is calling us to a high moral standard. And yet part of what we're seeing in the sacrificial system that's described throughout Leviticus is that we fall short of that high standard some examples of, of this morality that God's calling us to. The primary example is the Ten Commandments. You can check that out. But God also gives us really high standards for things like social justice, how we interact with one another, how we care for each other. It's very important to him how we take care of and provide for the poor that are in our midst. It's important to him how we treat foreigners, Man, none of these issues seem relevant to our day. Nobody debates about this in our culture. He has incredibly high standards for sexual purity. He even addresses this core issue of child sacrifice because in the culture that they were about to move into, this land they were coming into, they worshiped the god Molech. And one of his requirements was the sacrificial death of a child in order to make arrangements for his blessing in your future. If, if you don't think we're facing these kinds of moral struggles and issues in our culture today, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. And I gotta tell you, I, I'm all for um, using our right to be involved in the political realm so that we are governed as well as we possibly can. 
But I'm telling you, if we look to God's moral standard, you're gonna find mistakes on every single side of that aisle where we're missing the boat on what God is calling us to do. It was the people of Israel and, and now the church who were called to be set apart and unique to learn how to care for each other well, to actually be genuinely concerned with the needs of the poor in our midst and the foreigners, to hold ourselves to, to God's standard of sexual purity, to call sin, sin, to label abortion for what it is, to be real about that. Now listen, thank God that there is forgiveness and mercy and grace and a fresh start for every single place where we fall short and fail. And Leviticus prescribes that. But the, the letters of this law and the message of Jesus were never meant to do away with the need for high moral standards. It was to address the need that we're gonna fall short and mess up. And so God makes a way for us to be purified, cleansed, to become clean again in our weakness, in our failing, when we stumble and fall. The reason this was so important is because it contradicted the culture of the day. Both the place they were leaving, Egypt, and the place they were heading into, the people living in Canaan, practiced all of these behaviors as normal. They abused and marginalized the poor and the foreigner. They did sacrifice their children. They lived sexually impure lives. And God was saying, you are to stand apart from that culture. In Leviticus 18, verses 24 and 25, God talks about this. He says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished it in its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Do you, do you get the strong visual picture there? The idea is when, when this stuff is pervasive in our culture, it rots things away from the core because it gets passed down to our children. We begin to treat these things as normal and right and okay when they're not. They're not okay and they're destructive in nature and they harm the very land itself because we're not caring for the people or the land that God has given us to oversee. We're not protecting it well. It's essential to understand. We see this in Exodus. We see it in Leviticus and further. As Israel's gonna come into this land and begin to push out the culture, the prevalent culture that was there and the people that were there, God made it clear when he told Abraham that his descendants were gonna spend over 400 years in Egypt that part of that was to give a 400-year grace period for the people of Canaan to make it right with the Lord. But for 400 years, this had become the pervasive culture up to the point of sacrificing their own kids. And God said, enough is enough. This has to stop. 
Okay, so morally, things are broken. Here's one of the other things that we see throughout Leviticus. It's not just purely like immorality, making choices and decisions to sin against God, to sin against each other. Part of our physical makeup is that we are broken and in need of cleaning. And so it prescribes all of these highly detailed things about physical things our bodies go through naturally over the course of time and normal everyday things that we would do. So for example, they would clean and butcher an animal. Somebody would inevitably die and they, they would have to deal with that reality. And God said, just the normal function of everyday life causes you to become unclean. One of the main examples we see of this is, is leprosy. Now, in each of these things where God's addressing um, this impurity that comes about just by living life, we need to understand something. God's saying that these are normal parts of life and these are temporary impurities and I'm prescribing for you a way to be refreshed and made clean. And so one of the way, main ways we see this is this issue of leprosy. And so leprosy would show up and there was all this stuff prescribed about identifying it, removing and quarantining the person. And then if, if they get healed or made clean, then they show themselves to the priest before they can be reinstituted in society. Our, our version of that today might be lice. Anybody ever experienced that? Nobody wants to raise their hand, do they? <clears throat> My family and I went through a bout of that last year and immediately everybody wants to take like three steps back, right? <laughs> I mean, if you say that you have lice, you've heard of lice, your distant friend that lives three states away has it, everybody just immediately starts this number, right? Like we understand that version of unclean. <laughs> we don't want that here. Get that out. You can imagine trying to keep six kids away from each other so we could quarantine it and deal with it. It was a nightmare. Trust me, we were very aware we needed cleansing. <laughs> we needed cleansing. And it was a detailed, difficult effort to be made clean. That's what Leviticus is talking about. They're just normal life things that we go through as human beings. Like our bodies break down, they fall apart, they function a certain way, and we need to be made clean along the way. And so God's saying, I I'm, he, he's understanding that we need his grace even in these really simple, practical ways. We need to be made clean. Does that make sense? One of the things I would just point out to you is that all of those issues in the physical realm of uncleanness, they really ultimately are highlighting one thing, our mortality. They're highlighting the fact that we die. And the reality is we will be around and experience death. And if you've walked through that and experienced that, especially in a personal way, you're very aware that as natural as it is, there's something inside of us that says, this is not natural. This is not right. Why did I find myself in tears on a Sunday afternoon crying about a guy that I'd never met? And yet when the news of Kobe Bryant came, I didn't even like him when he was a player. I wasn't a big fan, but like, it just hit me. It was like something in me said, no, this isn't right. Then I hear his daughter and these other precious girls that 
Like they're at the start of their life. If something in us says, no, that's wrong. When we get around the reality of the fact that our physical bodies break down, they, they decay, people die. There's something in us that rises up and says, this isn't right. And God's saying, I know. I want to deal with that too. I want to cleanse you of that too. We were never meant to experience death. It's the ultimate picture of our separation from life. It's the ultimate picture of our separation from God. God is holy. What that means, if it means anything, is that he is sinless and he is life itself. We are unholy. And what the scripture teaches us that that means is that we have sin and that sin leads to death. The reason we need to be cleaned is because even at our most basic core level of our nature, we need to be redeemed back into life. And so the God who is holy and pure is honest with us and says, you have a great need. Your need is to be made holy. Your need is to move from death to life. Your need is to move from sin and its devastating consequences in your own heart and life and in your family and in your community and in the greater culture around you it is destructive in nature and you need to be healed and rescued and redeemed from it. And so I'm inviting you to come to me to be set apart and made clean and made holy and receive life. That's the message of Leviticus. It's highlighting this great need. Number three, the third message of Leviticus is that God provides a remedy. It's a remedy. And the remedy prescribed sounds awful. I just, I don't wanna read anymore about animals being cut into pieces and do this with their guts and do this with their legs and like the birds are a little bit different and burn some of it and like, it's just, it's just gross. It's disgusting. It's, God's making it very clear to us that the only real provision for the cleansing of sin and death is blood. It's a blood sacrifice. He hinted at this in the very Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they saw something was wrong and they tried to cover it up themselves. What did they use? Anybody remember? What did they sew together to cover up their nakedness? Leaves. Why didn't God just say, that's good enough? You're covered. God made for them a covering out of animal skin. God sacrificed animals to cover for their sin and nakedness. And from that moment forward, he continues to reinforce this need for a blood sacrifice. Our sin is that big of a deal. Our brokenness is that big of a deal. If we hear nothing else from Leviticus, I hope we realize that holiness is a big deal to God. 
And it takes a lot to make us holy. It's costly. But he cares that much about us to redeem our lives. Leviticus 17.11 kind of highlights this need for blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now, to, to simplify this a little bit, there are three basic things that had to be cleansed that we see throughout Leviticus by blood. The first thing that had to be cleansed was the priest, the representative of the people that was gonna bring in the blood sacrifice for everyone as our representative, that priest was unclean. He was just a dude. Aaron was a man and he made mistakes. We have seen plenty of them. He's a regular dude. And so he needed blood to cleanse him. So the very representative wasn't even clean and had to be made clean. And so there, was, there were things prescribed for that. Then the people. So the priest is gonna come on behalf of the people to make a sacrifice. The people needed to be cleansed by the blood and they participated in this process. They brought something of value to them, to the priest, and the priest took that thing of value and sacrificed and went on their behalf before God and said, will this blood cover and make them clean? The third thing that may not seem as obvious that had to be cleansed by blood was the place of meeting, the tabernacle itself. These were still man-made things, even though God was very specific in how they were to be made because it's a reflection of something else. This man-made structure, it had to be made clean in order to make a way for the people to be purified. So the priest, the people, and the gathering place where God's presence was, all of it had to be cleansed and purified. Now, there's all these other prescriptions of things that happen, but this all culminated in one great yearly sacrifice, once a year on what we know of as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. There was a special sacrifice made for all the sins of all the people for the whole year. And so what would take place, we're gonna pick this up in Leviticus 16, verse eight. After the priest had made atonement for himself, then two goats were brought before the tabernacle, and here's what happened. <clears throat> verse eight, then Aaron, the priest then, shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Verse nine, and Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat in the wilderness. So there actually were two animals. One of them was gonna be the animal of sacrifice, whose blood it was that was gonna cover all of the people's sin. The other goat, what they would do is they would put their hands on the goat, literally, and proclaim the sins of all the people on the goat, and then it was sent out into the wilderness, out away from the people, and it was a symbol of their sin being removed from them, and the goat is now cast out. This is where we get the concept of a scapegoat, right here. Two goats. This was God's prescription. 
All of this was a picture of Jesus Christ. All of this was looking in advance ahead to the one who would be sacrificed once for all. I want, I want you to think about this. Jesus was the perfect spotless lamb brought before the priests and he was tried. They could find nothing wrong with him. So in order to kill him, they had to make stuff up. He was the perfect sacrifice. He too was cast out. Was he sacrificed in the temple? No, he was sent out, out of the town, carrying the cross on his back. The cross was considered a curse to be hung on a tree. The scripture tells us that all of our sins were placed upon him and he went outside of the city on our behalf to remove our sin from us. There's a lot of scriptures in the New Testament we could dig into here, but I actually wanna take a minute and go through a couple of scenes that we see in Isaiah 53 that paints this beautiful picture of our sacrifice, Jesus. Isaiah 53, first verses four and five. Think about this in the context of him being the sacrificial goat, the sacrificial lamb. He surely has borne our griefs and our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. There's Jesus, the sacrificial one. Verse six, think about the scapegoat now who the sins are placed upon and he goes out. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Not only that, Jesus is the perfect priest. Verses 11 and 12. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the, the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's what a priest does. A priest is an intermediary. They go to God on our behalf. That's what Jesus did. He was both the priest and the sacrifice and the scapegoat to make a way for you and I to be made holy. He covered all of this. He didn't need an extra bowl to be killed on his behalf to make him clean so he could then go fulfill his duty as the priest. He's the great high priest who had no need to be cleansed. He was the perfect spotless lamb. He was the one on whom all of our sins have been placed. And so he becomes the outcast to remove our sin from us. This is Jesus. Even these ancient weird stories are declaring the glory of God in his plan to redeem and rescue us and how costly and bloody it was gonna be to deal with this once and for all. And I mentioned that, that God had them purify the place where they would meet him. Well, Jesus took care of that too because as he breathed his last, Matthew 27, verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. 
And then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You know why that's significant? Because we've read about the veil that separates the holy place where only one select person every so often could go in and commune with God. But God said, no, I'm a holy God and I'm gonna make you my holy people. And so I'm gonna do every single thing that it takes to cleanse you and redeem you and bring you back to your rightful place where you can be in my presence. It's my very presence that you were made for. Are y'all getting this? this? This is how good he is. Yeah, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, man, they're weird and they're strange, but they're highlighting our desperate condition. And how glorious is Jesus that you guys don't gather on a Sunday and bring with you your bird or your goat or your bull. And we're trying to get clearance from the school to see if we can set up some tarps in here and like <laughs> start having an ugly butcher shop and then maybe a barbecue in the parking lot when we're done. Thank you, Jesus, that you've freed us even from all of that ritual because you've done it once for all. Thank you that you have dealt with sin and the consequences of sin, which is death, so that I can be forgiven and made clean and receive life. That's Jesus right there in the book of Leviticus. The remedy has been provided and no temple made by human hands is needed any longer. Where's the temple now? Anybody got a little New Testament in you? It's us. We're the temple of the Spirit of God. He can come in and make his home in us. You know, I think, I think sometimes, I don't think this, I know this because it's real in my life. I've talked a lot over the years. I did this with high school kids for a long time about our need for a real relationship with God. And one of the hardest sticking points people would have is they would feel like, I, I don't know how to hear God's voice. I don't know how to really connect with him in that way. And I, I think part of the problem is we've never slowed down long enough to realize it's not about having some emotional moment in a really cool sounding worship experience. The issue is, am I willing, am I willing to start at the starting point to realize maybe why I'm not connected with the true and living God and I'm not recognizing his presence and his voice in my life is I'm not taking the issue of my own sin seriously enough. I'm not truly calling out to Jesus and going, Jesus, this sin right here, this thing, I'm sick of being unholy and separated from you. I'm tired of compromising with my sexual immorality. God, I'm, I'm tired of saying all the right things on the outside and having no actual heart for people. I don't care about the poor. I'm not doing anything. God, there's all these things you've called me to and I've resisted them. I've not done what's right when I've known to do it and I've done what's wrong when I've known not to. And God, that uncleanness is separating me from you. Will you forgive me, Jesus? Will you cleanse me? And making it real and personal right here, right now, Jesus, this. And Jesus comes rushing in to say, yes, I'm the remedy. I love you. I will cleanse you. I will purify you. I long to be connected with you. I want you to experience my presence. 
I want you to experience the purity you can't earn or create on your own, but I can give it to you. I can make you holy because I'm holy. I can deal with your sin and death because I'm you. I've become one of you. I walked the road you walked and I paid the price that needed to be paid and you're mine and now you're meant for a relationship with me. And we can now experience and enjoy the presence of the living God and all that he brings. We have a perfect high priest. So let's trust him and worship him. We're the purified people of God. We've been made clean. So let's actually allow him to set us apart from the culture of the day. We are the temple of God. So let's learn to live in his presence. In closing, I want to give you a little encouragement. You know, whether you do this now or you file it away in your back pocket for when we get there as a church in our reading, I believe that if you look at Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, you see a reflection of this concept of the just shall live by faith. It's a phrase from Habakkuk. It's repeated in several places in the New Testament. Exodus is all about how we're justified. We're brought out from Exodus. We're brought out from sin. We pass through the Red Sea, a picture of water baptism. We're brought out. We've been justified by the miraculous power of God. Leviticus is all about how we live. How do we live in holiness? Numbers, as we're gonna see, addresses the issue of faith. Some of the main ways that we see it is there's a handful of people who walk in faith and a whole bunch who don't. I believe that if you take Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and you read them through the lens of the New Testament, a great place to start, Romans, is all about how we've been justified by the working of Jesus Christ. The book of Galatians is all about how we live by the spirit of God and not the letter of the law. But we find ourselves fulfilling the law as a consequence of being connected to the spirit of God. Hebrews might start making some sense to some of you guys now that we've taken time to read through all that's prescribed. Hebrews is all about our great high priest, Jesus, and about placing our faith in him and the work he has done. All right, this is how Old and New Testament fit together. And they're all a reflection of our savior, Jesus and the life we now live because of him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am, I'm aware of the fact that I still can't fully wrap my head around your holiness. God, I, I know, I understand that I am unholy apart from you. God, thank you for providing the remedy Jesus, thank you that you are the perfect high priest who makes intercession on my behalf. Thank you that you are the sacrificial lamb whose blood cleanses me and makes me pure. Thank you that you're the scapegoat. You let sin be put on you so it could be removed from me. 
God, thank you that your presence is no longer this restricted thing, but because of the work of Jesus, your very presence can come be in my life. God, I, I long to be made clean, to be made pure. God, I'm aware that just in normal everyday life, I get messy and dirty all over again. God, thank you for your mercy that is new every day. God, would you give me clean hands? Would you give me a pure heart? And God, would you help me not to lift my soul to any other but you? You are the holy God. Lord, thank you that you can be our holy God and we can be your holy people because of the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and our intention to live in your presence daily. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.